Thank you for just gathering here, being able to open your word and hear from you, God, how we need to hear from you, Lord. Lord, this world is, it, 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 it is a, a barren, desolate island when it comes to hearing something that is going to refresh our souls, build up our souls, much less save our souls, and we need salvation. I pray, Father, for you to do that by your Spirit today. Oh, Lord Jesus, you come. Your word says you, you're here today in like manner as you were on that day 2,000 years ago. You are here gentle, lowly, inviting, pleading. Come to me. I'm here. I'm your king. Would you have me? Lord, would you please smite, put to death, eliminate, take away, cast out any bit of pride residing in this room, including in my own heart, that would prevent anyone from receiving you as king. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Looking for my clock. Where are you, clock? There you are. There's a clock. No. There you go. Okay. I got it. So here in the first 10 verses of chapter 11 of the book of Mark, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and every Jewish person in Jerusalem and is believed there were up to a million who came in at this time, Passover, every Jewish person seeing Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they knew what was going on. What was going on? A man claiming to be a king was coming in. A man claiming to be a king, not only of Israel, but of the nations of the world, was coming in to the city. Now, why is it that everyone seeing this knew that? That this man who was coming in was claiming to be a king. King not only of the uh, nation of Israel, but of the whole world. Why, why is it that everyone knew that? And the answer is in, uh, mentioned actually four times in the first seven verses. It's that word cult, which means a young donkey. So in verse two, Jesus said to his disciples, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a Colt, that means a young donkey. Verse 4 says, they went their way and found a colt. That's a young donkey. Verse 5 uh, says, they loosed the colt. And then in verse 7, it says, then they brought the colt, the young donkey, to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. So he came in riding on a young donkey. You see, every Jew, they knew at the time from the second to the last 
book of the Jewish Old Testament, the book of the prophet Zechariah, that Messiah King, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, would come into Jerusalem to save the world, riding gentle, lowly, on a donkey, a young donkey. Every Jewish person in Jerusalem knew it. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is written about four or 500 years before this day when Jesus came in. It's about, about 520 B.C. This was written by the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, best translation, gentle, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And, and, and so uh, they knew this Jewish Messiah king or at least some of them knew, I should say, was not only um, a king of Israel, he was the king of nations, the whole world. That, 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 and and how, did, how did some of them knew that? They, they needed to be uh, a little bit more averse and attend to Scripture to understand this part. But some of them had read the, the next verse. When you're reading a verse, Calvary Chapel, read the next verse too and the one before, so you can really understand it. And what did the next verse say? It says, he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. This guy thinks he's the king of the world. Some of them knew that as he was coming in. They knew that because they knew the book of Zechariah. Parents, teach your children the Bible so that they know this stuff, so that they can recognize God when he's coming in. Uh, and so, um, this guy thinks he's a king. Now, many of them, they didn't think he was a king. The, the, the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were already plotting his death. They didn't think he was the king, but they knew he thought he was the king. Because what did we just read? He set this whole thing up. He said, go get me a young donkey. He knows Zechariah, Jesus Christ wrote Zechariah 9.9. He knows it. And so this whole thing is a setup by God. And so he comes in and he's, and, and the, whole, the whole Jewish world there, and there's up to a million, they knew this man was claiming to be a king. Now, he was a king. We know that. He is king. He is king of the nations, king of not only the world, the universe. But I want to talk for a while about two spectacularly different things about this king from any other king who ever lived or would ever live. Two spectacularly different things. You ready? Yeah? Okay, spectacularly different thing number one. This king did not require 
anyone to be his subject. He didn't make anyone become his subject or his citizen. Instead, he gave an invitation. That's not how kings behave of the earth. An invitation that sounded like this. If you wish, if you want, if you so desire, I will be your king and you can be my subject. Not so with every other king who ever lived. Every other king who ever lived, I will be your king whether, you, you, uh, whether or not you wish it, want it, or desire it. You are my subject. And you're going to feel some pain if you don't right now. Not so with Jesus Christ. If you wish, if you want, if you so desire, I will become your king now. You can be my subject, but if you don't want me to be your king, I will not be your king. That's how this king came in to Jerusalem. Related to spectacularly different thing number one is the way the invitation is made, the way that it is made. Now, it doesn't have this verse quoted here from Zechariah, but it quotes it in John and in Matthew. Zechariah 9.9 again says, says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, uh, o daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He's just in having salvation, lowly and gentle. Delicado, if you speak Spanish, gentle. And riding on a donkey, not only a donkey, it's a borrowed donkey. Kings of the earth not only require that you become a subject of them, but they back up the requirement with military force, with armies, with weapons, with threats from weapons. If you don't agree to become their uh, subject, not so King Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and not so King Jesus knocking on the door of some of your hearts this morning who have never given your life to Jesus Christ as king. You acknowledge him, you know facts about him, you know that he was born on Christmas and raised on Easter. You've never asked him to be your king. He's asking you gently. He's coming in the same way he came into Jerusalem. He always does. Gentle, lowly, coming in on a donkey. No military force, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have armies. He doesn't have weapons, no threatenings. In fact, the book of Luke tells us rather than using um, armies and weapons, he used tears. Can you imagine a king using tears? Luke chapter 19, as Jesus was coming in, he was going over, um, um, uh, he's on the Mount of Olives looking down to the city. That's really close, Mount of Olives. You can Google it. I did last night. It's close. He says, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. For some of you, this is your day. And he's saying the same thing to you. If you had known, even especially you in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Because some people, 
They saw him coming on to the don- as a donkey as king because they knew Zechariah, but they were sticking their heads in the sand. Oh, how we resist authority. How we can't stand the thought of someone being a king over our lives and actually having control over what we do, what we think, what entertainment we watch, what, how we, um, what our, our, our sexual behavior is like. Oh, forget that. I don't want that. I want to be on any social media, any form of any t- entertainment at any time. I don't want a king. There were some of you back there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago saying the same thing. He's coming in weeping. Rather than torpedoes, he's using tears. In fact, Jesus is really doing, what he's really doing is not as much as inviting Jerusalem, inviting you, pleading with them, He's pleading with you. It's not really, it's not an invitation. The, the odd thing about this king, different than any other king, he does, it doesn't even invite, he pleads. Now that's strange, but that's how much he loves you. What kind of king does this? King Jesus, that's who you're probably familiar with his most famous pleading. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Same words. Describing Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the last time, soon to be crucified, days later. Gentle and low. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see the, you see the pleading here? Can you feel it? This is a good one to put to memory, Calvary Chapel. This verse, put to memory. Because you can feel the pleading, your God pleading with you. He loves you so much. I'm reading a book now called Gentle and Lowly. It's by a guy named Dan Ortland. And he cleared up for me something that's always confused me about this verse. It confused me literally for 30 years up until reading this just a few nights ago. I've always been confused by this last part, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't, that's never made sense to me because a yoke, you guys know what a yoke is? You don't, many, most people don't know what yokes are anymore unless they, they read the Bible, actually. Well, for those of you who don't know yokes, I have a picture for you. Caillou, do we have the picture of the yoke? Oh, no. Oh, no, we don't. I sent it really early this morning to you. <laughs> Maybe you could find it. A yoke is that big, or at least I thought I did. Maybe, maybe some, uh, someone else got a picture of a yoke. Someone um, uh, in Africa got a picture of a yoke. What is this? Um, so a yoke is a, 
a bar it's made out of wood, a really big one, or it could be made out of steel or whatever, that goes over an ox, and attached to that yoke is a, is a plow, usually. Oh, wow! Here it is. It's the yoke. So if you look real closely, oh, man, I wish we had these lights off. It doesn't matter. If you look at really on top of the neck of these two of these two oxes, there's that big, looks like a white thing. That's, an, that's, an, that's a yoke. That's not a small thing. I mean, that's not like one of those pillows that you put them back of your neck that you put on an airplane to help you sleep. I mean, this is like a big old thing. Thank you, Solomon. And attached to that, this is a big carriage of hay with a bunch of dudes on it. But, um, and then that metal thing in the back. I mean, it, 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 but this is what they attached a plow to, a yoke. And I've never understood. Yoke is easy. What do you mean yoke is easy? What yoke is easy? A yoke weighs something. And so I'm reading this book, and um, God bless this guy, Dane Ortland. Uh, he, he does a word study um, of this word yoke, and it's the same word in other places in the New Testament translated kind. Kind. The Greek word plaus. And at one place you see it, is in the famous verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus says, love your enemies and you will be sons of the Most High, for God is kind. Same word. It's not easy. Not God is easy. No, 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 no. God is kind to the ungrateful and easy. That word kind. That word kind. So Calvary Chapel, when Jesus is pleading with you, he's saying, come to me, please, for my yoke is kind. Can we have the, uh, the, the verse, kind, and my burden is light. What this author, Dan Ortland says, it's a non-yoke is what it is. You bring, you, you accept Jesus into your life, there's a non-yoke when it comes to your relationship with him. It's a yoke of kindness that he puts on you. No threatenings, no armies, no weapons. He's gentle and he's lowly and he's saying, come to me. And you can reject him. He's giving you every single right to do that. Again, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. It says in, in, in Zechariah, speaking of um, Jesus coming into the city. Shout, daughter of Israel, behold, your king come to you. He's just in having salvation lowly, gentle, and riding on a donkey. So, Calvary Chapel, spectacularly different thing number one between this king, King Jesus, and every other king who ever lived. Jesus pleads with you, says, I'm ready for you. I'm here for you. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I love you. I will not punish you. I will not rebuke you. I will not stick it to you. I will not make you smell the stench of your own wretched sin that you're sitting in right now. This filth of sin that you're sitting in. I will never make you smell it again. 
I won't even talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I will do everything I can to help you forget about it. I'll embrace with you. I'll weep with you. I will saturate you with an abundance of peace. I just read this in Jeremiah this week. Jeremiah 31, 14, God pleading with his rebellious people. I'll satiate the soul of your priest with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness. That's how God pleads with you. Jesus King, that's how he pleads with you, Calvary Chapel. Are you really going to reject it as hundreds of thousands did in Jerusalem? Spectacularly different thing, number one. This king doesn't require you or anyone else to become a subject of his. God doesn't drag anyone into heaven. And he doesn't push you to hell. You send yourself to hell. You do. He comes in unlike any other king, gentle. He's gentle. Jesus Christ is gentle. When he's inviting you. If you wish, if you want, if you, des if you desire, I'll be your king. Please, yes, now, don't delay. Some would die that night without accepting the gentle king as their savior. Some would die that day. They would miss it. Come to me. My yoke is kindness and my burden is light. What about spectacularly different thing number two? How Jesus king, King Jesus, was different than every other king who ever lived. This king, King Jesus, comes not to take from you, but to give to you. Did you hear that? Does that just blow your conception of God to smithereens? I hope it does, if it hasn't already. This king doesn't come to take from you. That's religion. He's already done everything. There's nothing he can take from you that's worth, that you can buy your salvation with or a relationship with him with. He comes to give. On Tuesday nights, I teach chapter by chapter through the Old Testament over at 2566 Washington Street, about a mile away. And we read this really, really, really interesting passage from 1 Samuel chapter 8 a while back. When we were in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're in 2 Kings now. But in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of Israel, they asked for a king. They didn't have one. For 400 years, it's the time of the judges. That book, the Bible, is that the seventh book or... Yeah, right? Seventh book of the Bible. It's called the book of Judges. They had, they, they had been delivered from Egypt. They came into the promised land. God said, I'll be your king. 400 years. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they ask for a king. Specifically, they said, we want a king like all the other nations. And God was not happy with that. He was their king. He'd already made that really clear. 
God wanted to be their king. Can you imagine that? And they said, no, we want a king. And the prophet Samuel, he got upset at the people and he, he went to God, he prayed to God about it. These people, they want a king and God told them, don't be upset. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me because they don't want me as their king to reign over them. Verse seven, First Samuel chapter eight. So this is part of spectacular different thing number one, right? Uh, you, don't have, you don't want God to be your king? He honors your choice. You don't have to have God as your king. So he tells Samuel, okay, give him a king. And so Samuel goes back to the people and he warns them. And I've always been fascinated by these verses. He warns them what, he says, I'll give you a king, but this is what's gonna happen when you get a king. Verse 11 of chapter eight of 1 Samuel. He says, this will be the behavior of this king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. It says, he will take your daughters, verse 13, to be your, his perfumers, his cooks, his bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkey and, your, uh, and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out to God in that day, but he will not hear you. It says in verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. No, we want to have a king over us. That we also may, but that we also may be like all the nations. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And they got a king and he did exactly what Samuel told them he would do. He just took, he took, he took, he took, he took. This has been the history of kings, the history of governments. We need to honor our government. We need to pray for our president, President Biden, our mayor, uh, Mayor Wu. We, we need to pray for them. We need to honor them. But the history of government is take, 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 take. That's what kings do. They're fallen. They're depraved like every other person on planet Earth. We, we want to honor them. Uh, many of them um, have been honorable people over the years. We praise the Lord for that. But don't expect, expect anything from a king other than they're going to take from you. Not so King Jesus. We read this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, just a few weeks ago. I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse, the, uh, chapter. It's verse Mark 10, 45. For even, this is Jesus speaking about him, about King Jesus. This is King Jesus speaking about what him being your king is like. He says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Well, that's crazy. Notice again the verse from Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just having what? Salvation. He comes, he's, he's having salvation. He comes having salvation. What's he giving? He's giving salvation. That's what he is supremely. That's what he gives. 
Salvation. Caring salvation. He's caring salvation. What? To keep it for himself? I'm just going to keep this salvation for myself. No. He can't. He's coming to give it. Kings in human history, again, have a long, 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 long history of taking, 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 taking. But spectacular thing number two is this. King, this king comes giving, 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 giving. He comes giving. He comes giving what? Well, if you were here a few weeks ago when we went over Mark chapter 10, verses 29, what, what, we, what we called the truest verse in the Bible, every vile verse is true, this is the truest verse in the Bible. But when Jesus Christ comes as king, giving, what does he give? He gives love. He gives peace. He gives joy, patience, kindness. He comes giving goodness. He comes giving faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, comfort. He comes giving purpose, destiny, calling, perseverance, grit. You know how much we need grit? Do you know how much you need grit? I need grit. We need grit. He comes, your, your, your Savior comes um, gentle and low, lowly, giving grit. That's what he does. He, gives, he, he comes giving friends. He comes giving daughters, sons, sisters, brothers, mothers, father's family. He comes giving eyes. Eyes that will see the sky in a way that you've never really saw the sky before. He comes giving eyes that will see whatever, forests like you've never seen before, oceans, lakes, like you've never seen them before. He comes giving these things, birds, bees, bugs. You've never really seen them before. He comes giving that. He comes giving you ears that hear music like you've never heard it before. Ears which hear your friends, your family, your, your spouse, your kids, and, and, and a random even stranger like you've never heard them before. He comes giving you hearts that suffer with those who suffer, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Jesus comes giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. All those things. But it all starts with giving what? Someone shout it out. It all starts with giving what? He came gentle and lowly, caring what? Salvation. Having what? Salvation. Again, behold, your king is coming to you. He's just in having salvation. So that long, long list that I just read Love, peace, joy, comfort, giving persons, sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, giving eyes, giving ears, giving hearts. They're all preceded by salvation. It's the first thing he gives. In Calvary Chapel, you gotta understand. Salvation from what? You gotta understand this. We were praying in the 9.30 a.m. prayer service this morning. I hope you can join us. I'm just praying that I wouldn't be like the prophets in Jeremiah. I'm, I'm, I'm reading in Jeremiah, Jeremiah telling the prophets, the pastors, 
you prophesy smooth, deceitful things. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you. I fear God too much. I love you too much. The Bible says salvation from what? It says Jesus saves us from the wrath that is to come. The judgment. The judgment that is to come. You see, in the Old Testament, there were all these prophecies, hundreds of them, about Jesus and they prophesied about two different comings of Jesus Christ. The first coming when he comes gentle, lowly, inviting. But when he comes the second time, the invitation is over. It's done with. No more invitation. And there will be judgment. There's a description of it in Revelation Revelation chapter 19. So these are kind of small words, so I will save them for you. But if you want to turn there, Revelation in your Bible, last book of the Bible, Revelation 19, if you want to read them with me. Verse 11 says this, Now I saw heaven open. This is John who wrote the book of John. He wrote the book of Revelation as well. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called... What is his name called, Calvary Chapel? The Word of God, John chapter 1. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There you have it again. Jesus Christ is King. He came the first time to make a temporary invitation to plead on a temporary basis. And here's the deal. His, his, his disciples, um, after he ascended, rather after he was resurrected from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven, were trying to get him to say, well, when is it? When, when is your return going to be? And, and, he, and he told them, no man knows the, the day or the hour or even the season. People leave that one out, by the way. Even the season, they don't know. But the invitation someday is going to be pulled. And it, when it's pulled, it will be a perfectly just, righteous pulling of the invitation. I'm going to call the worship team up at this time. And while they're coming up, I just want to, I want to go over the glorious reception that, that he got from from many. Let's go back to Mark 11 and let's read verse 7. It says, Then they brought the colt to Jesus, the donkey, 
And they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. So they made a saddle out of their own clothes, is what they did. And many spread their clothes on the road. The book of Matthew says this is a very great multitude. And in this multitude, there were very few, if any, rich people, powerful people, educated people. This is the poor. This is, this is the powerless. And they're throwing their clothes so this ox, a couple, not this ox, this donkey. Actually, there was two of them, two donkeys, so this king, this coming king, this glorious king would have a road other than a dirt road. And it says that they also, it says, they cut down leafy branches, uh, verse 8, from the trees and spread them on the road. We know from John that those were palm branches. There may be another branches as well. They were making a highway. They were giving what they had. Have you thrown your clothes? Have you taken your clothes off and just thrown them at the feet of Jesus? Have you done that, Calvary Chapel? It, it, it goes on and, and it says here, then those who went before and those who followed Jesus, this king riding lowly on a donkey, gentle, they cried out, Hosanna, which means, it, it, it means Save now in the Hebrew, but it, it really had come to, it was, a, it was a, a, a phrase of rejoicing. It was a phrase of, of adoration, of rejoicing. It comes from Psalm 118. Psalm 118. I memorized it during COVID and trying to keep it under, with, uh, under memory. But it, it, they, they're quoting this Hosanna and, and it, it says there, it says in Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, they cry out. It was a rejoicing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is what they um, are shouting out to Jesus now. Um, they are basically, this is, these are people who are saying in their heart, he took a lying, cheating, betraying, stealing, filthy tax collector and took him as a disciple. Surely he'll take me. And they are shouting out, Hosanna, yes, our king. He's coming, bringing salvation. Because they knew Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, I want to be saved. Blessed is the kingdom of the father David, verse 10, Jesus being the son, the descendant of David, that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. If you've been asked to pray, please come up at this time. We're going to have a time of worship. You can stand at this time. This is a time of worship and prayer. If you've never given your life to King Jesus, you know about Christmas, you know about Easter, you know about that stuff. But as King who governs you, where you say 
and you release all authority of your life, all control over your life to this king who's not making you do it. He's in the season where it's a temporary status where he is giving this invitation during this temporary age before his return. If you've never done that, please come up. You do that by asking him, and it's a prayer. You don't have to come up to do it in a church, but you can certainly come up now, and I can lead you in a prayer where you do that very thing. I'll be up here. Or if there's anything else that has stirred your heart today, this gentle, loving Savior who's pleading with you, saying, my yoke is kindness, my burden is light. Why have you feared so much to come to me? If that's you, come up for prayer. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I pray this prayer would, in this time of worship, would be a blessing to your heart, Lord. Complete the work that you have started in us. In Jesus' name.